Welcome to another Mandate. On today's podcast, we have Danielle Konechny. She's co-owner of Fisher Sisters Real Estate and was recently listed in the top 40 under 40 in Top 100 Magazine. She's got a lot for us. Stick around. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mandate. My name is Joe Obermuller. I'm here, as always, with my friend... Ben Grush. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Another episode of Mandate. Got ben, an exciting guest for you. Really excited about today. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us who's here? Yeah, we have Danielle Konechny. And we uh, it's our first female guest. Very excited to get a female perspective on some of our manness. <laughs> and we are so excited for you to join us, Danielle. This is very exciting. Thank you so much for a wonderful intro. That was amazing. We Super excited to have you. So why don't you um, just tell us a little bit about yourself? What, what do you do? I, I just, you know, my little 20 second intro was clearly not enough. So. <laughs> well, um, I love all things real estate. So real estate, uh, sales, residential, commercial, investing. Um, I just love to talk about real estate. But my my I'm more even in love with my husband, Tobias, who I think we've been married five years. He's going to kill me because I can never remember <laughs> dates or timelines. And uh, so I always have to ask him. And I have two two kids, Tessa, who's 18, and she is almost off to college. And Tayden, who is four and Amazing. In running the world right ha- now. <laughs> have you always been interested in? in real estate and sounds like that's a broader subject finance and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I at a, about in high school, um, when I was deployed a lot in my 18, 19 year old, um, I did a lot of reading just about like wealth and how people accumulated wealth, you know, just watching what, like basically how I grew up and going, okay, there's gotta be an easier way. And so that's where I started reading after I got out of high school and started reading the things that I like to read. And I love to just kind of say, how do people figure this out? How do they become successful? And what does success mean? So that's been really interesting journey. Just, you know, uh, 18, 19 year old, you, you think success is just all money. And now my perspective is so much broader. Yeah, that's fascinating. Because uh, I, I would, I would suspect that most people probably approach it that way. They connect those two things together. Mm-hmm. How do you help? How do you help people rethink that? You know, I think the first thing is having people that are open to hearing what you have to say. So if if somebody's not open to hearing or listening or being coachable, it's just you know. I might say, here's a book, you know, go ahead and read this and take it on your journey and see where it takes you. But if they come back and they want more information or they, I see them applying little incremental steps, then I get really excited. I get really intense about it. Actually, I just had a client that came to me and he said, you know, um, I'm, I'm in my forties. I want to buy this duplex and move into it. And it was a very expensive duplex, you know, as far as investments going. And I got so intense about it. I got so excited. And every he's like, that's so weird. You're getting excited about this. And I said, why is why is that weird? He said, everyone that I have spoken with has said, this is such a big risk. And I just thought that that thinking is so backwards. You know, like basically he's moving into this, you know, building and the tenants paying for everything. 
where other people move into something the same price and they're paying it all themselves. So if something happens to them, you know, or their spouse or they don't have an income anymore, that's a huge risk. But people think of it backwards. You know, investment property is risky and a single family house for your family's not. That makes no sense. So when I have somebody that's on the same page, I get really excited about it. And then I just start going a little overboard. Sometimes you got to rein me back in because then I start going, oh, here's all the possibilities. This is so, I'm so glad you're talking about this because we've talked about this a lot. Just how do we, how do we come to have these perceptions about risk and, and money and success and like, all those things and you have to unravel those in your adult life i i don't i don't know very many people that just naturally thought about that differently most people i know including me has to unravel that like oh there's a different way to think about this and i think it's through people like you (laughs) that help just like walk walk somebody back down off of the risk ledge and saying hey can you you might be able to think about this a different way how do you how do you do that with people who are really really afraid I think it all comes from perspective so the things that I say or my opinion comes from you know my experiences and somebody else that comes from a totally different uh, life experiences might say no 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 don't do that so I can only give from my perspective and I let people know that but then I provide a lot of information behind it because I'm not the expert I'm not, you know, the ultimate expert in all things, you know, but I can get you that information. So you have something to back it up. Like, I love what you would call a calculated risk. I love that. You know, people say, oh, you've taken so many risks in your life. Well, they were all, every single one of them was calculated. It wasn't like I was just like, oh, let's do this. And I don't have any background to make this investment or just up and move or do these things that other people would say are super risky. So I think the information reduces the fear. Have you, Ben, I'm just curious if you've experienced this sort of like reframing of, of what Danielle's talking about, the thinking about risk in a different way. I get coached on it, I would say quarterly from my wife because I have, I think uh, there, was, there was a book I was reading recently that there's, for you to start to be a, a, a successful entrepreneur, there's there's four different people that have to be involved. One of them is a dreamer, one of them is a doer, one of them is a uh, you know get the word a communicator, and the last one is execution. Well, I live in the dream status. That's where I have all these big fancy dreams, but then where I always get stuck is exactly what you said, Joe. Is is the risk ledge. I'm, I'm always like, this is too risky. I can't do this. I can't do this without another person. I mean, this podcast is, is evident of that. I've had this giant idea of this podcast I've wanted to do since podcasts weren't a thing. And I never did it because I, I was always so scared of to, to get my opinions out there, to make other people nervous, to risk my, my you know, my, my look in a society or my, more importantly, my income. Uh, and it's really, for me, it's made me not make a lot of decisions. And I think that's what's so unique about every individual. So people always say, okay, let's put them in four different personality categories. 
Well, I recently came across about a year ago this product called product, uh, Predictive Index. And Predictive Index takes each individual and breaks down their drivers. So Fortune 500 companies use this information to hire people because they can say, basically, these are the features we're looking for. So once you know somebody's drivers, you can really push them forward. For instance, if you look at my drivers, I don't need input from anybody. I don't need their opinion. I don't need their help. Like, if you're not going to help me do it, I'm going to go ahead and do it myself. I will find a way. I'm very resourceful. But that's really tough in the business world and also in marriage. So in the business world, that's okay because my sister is very independent as well. And we she'll make decisions without me. And it's like, yeah, like when she comes to me and asks to make a collabor collaborative decision, it's frustrating for me, you know? So, and we just learn, like, she appreciates that I'm making the decisions. I appreciate she makes her decisions that are in her arena. And we can move forward. In my marriage, that is not okay. My husband's a collaborator. And that's a big driver for him. So he wants to collaborate on everything before moving forward. And if, if we don't collaborate, we don't move forward. So that's like a skill I have to learn. So when you talk about like you have to have a dreamer and all these other people, if you don't have those skills, hire people to help you implement those or third parties, then you can really create anything you want in the world. And just for context, your sister is co-owner of Fisher Sisters, yes, right? Yes, yep. And how long have you two been working together? Um, successfully working together. <laughs> right. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I want to say eight years. Gosh, I was licensed for five years. I've been selling for 16 years. So I would say ten, maybe 10, eight, 10, something like that. Like I said, I'm bad at the details. So the dates kind of elude me, but you get the gist. So, so go, going on that, family-run business, okay? Because I know your entire family is really a part of your business now, or other parts of your family are a part mm -hmm. of your business as well. How do you... I mean, because there's certainly a skill set of bringing other people along, right? Because you need other people to run a successful business, right? Just hiring people. That's, you know, you see the Amazons of the world. You know, we're talking huge up here. But success is really driven by people, not by finances or revenue. How do you get people to, one, recruit them to your vision? And how do you then keep them? I think the biggest thing in today's marketplace especially for, like I would say, my generation, right? I'm an old millennial, is keeping the millennial without providing a ribbon every single day, right? <laughs> so how do you get people to stay? How do you recruit them, one? How do you get them to stay, two? I love this. I love, love, love this. I wish they start teaching this in schools. So it's all about people. It goes back to people. What drives people? How they operate? What is important to them? So I work with a bunch of people who are what you would call like an expressive. So they have a lot of energy. They like to talk all the time. They love gifts. They love everything. They fluff everything. It's so exciting. Everything in the world's exciting. And I am a very bland person. Like I could sleep in a cot and have a toothbrush and be happy with life. Mm -hmm. Like I just don't have that. I could eat the same thing every single day. I'm very boring. So we have what we created is the Dana Fisher sandwich. This is very hard for me being so structured. I mean, when we first started working together, she called me Hitler. I had this very defined way of doing things. Like you get to the office at 5 a.m. You start doing all your paperwork. 
by eight o'clock, you start calling by 11. Then you can go to lunch. And, you know, that was my way. Well, Dana would come in and she would like not have her makeup done or her hair and she hadn't had breakfast and she's, oh, you know, it's 830. She's a half an hour late. And uh, it was a struggle. So I that was my the beginning of my journey of learning that my way to the end result is not always the best. So we developed this thing called the Dana Fisher Sandwich. And it was a huge motivator for Dana because her drivers are very like awards. Um, she has a lot of social drivers because she's a very social person. I'm more introverted. I, I've had to learn to be extroverted and, and communicate at a high level. But Dana, she just loves people. She's all over the place. She's fun. And so when I come in to deliver bad news, I can't just say, why is your paperwork wrong? Or why did you do that? You know, because then like instantly she wants nothing to do with you. Okay. I mean, that's a normal human tendency. So it's like, oh my gosh, your shoes look amazing. And, you know, could we clean this up just a little bit? Do you think that you could take a look at this paperwork or this thing? Could we kind of talk it out? What happened? And you know what? You're really doing a good job. You're really rocked that deal last week and it looked amazing. Or you know what? Sometimes you do have to give them an award. I mean, how many, I'm not a gift person. I don't know if, if it's not something I need, I don't want it. Well, I've had to learn or get assistance from one of my staff members who loves to give gifts. And then I'm like, what do I give Dana to butter her up? You know, I'm giving Dana all my secrets now, so I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but, you know, to to make her still excited. Because it, it's at the end of the day, it's not about me. I learned that when I try to run my business to accommodate my needs and my ego and how I operate, it just fails every single time. And sometimes I get frustrated. So, like, you know, you're kind of talking about these employees and you see, like, the accolades. Like, I received an award and everybody's like, in my group's very proud of me and they're like, you're my mentor. But there's a lot of bumpy things along the way that people don't see. You don't see that on Facebook. And so I think communicating with them at a high level, but also seeing what their drivers are so everybody can come back together and say, can we keep moving forward? And if you don't, then there's a time and a place for everybody. Sometimes it's not right for them to still be there and maybe they need to go on to their next step in their journey. But and then I just can't take that personal. I just need to learn from it. I suspect that your attention to this and your uh, ability to adjust based on other people is probably at least part of the reason why you are in that top 40 list. It doesn't it, it's not it doesn't all have to do with your success in your real estate company, right? It's how you run your business, too. And, and so I really appreciate what you're saying about. Uh, the, the accolade and sort of the end result or end product and people not really realizing what the what the journey is to get there. So what what are some of those things? What were some of the bumps in the road that you had to overcome to get to where you are now to, to be eligible for that kind of prestigious award? Oh, there's, well, let's just take this year as an example. When COVID hit, you know, I like to, I like to prepare for the worst and then plan for the best. So always preparing for the worst. And everybody was, had a, a lot of difficulty in that. They did not want to plan for the worst at all. They wanted to pretend the worst wasn't happening. And so sitting at office meetings with my staff who are stressed, scared, they have no idea if they're going to have a job. 
They have no idea if the city's going to get shut down. They have, they have no certainty. I have to create that for them. So communicating at a high level again was like, okay, everybody, here's what's going to happen. Here's what we're doing to minimize costs and risk in our company. And we're going to do everything we can so you guys still have your jobs. And then people can kind of go, okay. Then we also do other requests like, please take care of yourselves. I say that to my staff all the time. They're like, why do you keep saying to take care of myself? Well, if you're not taking care of yourself, that kind of permeates into the world in not a good way. So when we're dealing with people, moving is very exhausting. People think that like, oh, moving so sexy. I get a bigger house or a new house or this is so much fun. And then they have to start packing and move all their belongings. And that is stressful. And doing that in the middle of a pandemic, I have seen the worst of the worst of the worst of people. But instead of getting frustrated and being like, eh, you guys are jerks. It's like, I understand what you're going through. And because I've taken care of myself and taken care of the things that I need to, I can help you guide you in this process. So we just reiterate that to our staff. And if they do not want to take care of themselves, that's when it kind of came through. You know, we brought people in to help people manage their emotions, manage their stress. And as a business owner, I just felt like that was an obligation. You know, their personal lives are their personal lives. But that permeates in the, into the workplace. And another thing that we kind of implemented to help with that is uh, social media. You know, we kind of wanted to take a little social media off people's plates so they could have some well-being. You know, it, social media can be a great place for you know to see people's families and connect with people but it can also be exhausting no question yeah it can take a serious toll in a lot of ways um and and you're absolutely right when you talk about people's personal lives of course they're gonna of course they're gonna permeate into their work life and and as, as a business owner to remember that and take steps toward addressing that seems to me uh, would be a really beneficial thing to do for your business and for your people because your people clearly recognize that that's what's happening, right? I mean, maybe they don't know. They feel cared for. And I'm, I'm not sure that's true for everybody in the workplace, that they feel like their boss really cares about them and, and is making decisions on their behalf. I think especially around these parts of the world um well i guess I, I guess it would be probably countrywide you feel there's a lot of times you feel like a number well yeah I, and I, I think it's okay what you were about to say were you about to say the like you know pull up your bootstraps like take care of yourself you sort of you're responsible for yourself that kind of mentality yeah i hear i hear it in the workplace in, in my workplace you know people you'll hear someone complain about something and be like, you know, the number one thing is that's not part of my job. Well, I've heard leaders also, right? That's the, that could be the wrong thing to say, but then I've heard leaders respond and be like, well, if you don't want to do it, then you can just bounce or you're going to, you're going to do what I ask you to do. Why? Because it's a job. It's like, well, well, time out. I, I get what you're saying. Leader, but back up. This is still a human being that's going to bring human emotions responses they're gonna we don't want people to bring their personal lives to work right that's what we say but they're going to it's the it's the human condition they are humans they're not robots it's the the biggest falsehood 
ever. Yeah. I mean, in my line of work, uh, you know, in, in the theater, we talk about that in terms of, of the rehearsal space. And like when we come together to, to work on a show, it's like you're supposed to leave everything at the door and, and then, you know, be present for, for rehearsal or whatever the work is that we need to do. And it's just a lie. Nobody can do that. Yeah, you, you bring your whole self into the space. And then however the, the group of people or, the, or the, whatever the environment is, is how well people are going to handle that. I think that is really good because people are going to, you know, take their junk with them. It's not like they just drop all their baggage at the door. It's like the same thing as going into a relationship. You don't just suddenly not have any baggage. You just have to be able to manage that or minimize it or focus on some healing. And then, you know, that might help lighten the load a little bit. And then you can kind of move forward. But people are going to always have that. So I'm let, let's go back to the driver's thing that you were talking about earlier. You got really, you just like lit up when you oh, started yeah. talking about that. Mm-hmm. What a great tool. I've had other tools in my life that have been so helpful in in giving me language to how I perceive the world. And, and um, so I'm just curious how you utilize that in in your own life, in the workplace. Is it a, is it a type of thing where you have a meeting and gather and everybody does this assessment like how, how do you determine what people's oh, drivers are yeah we love this so everybody takes a test we go over it in our business because we're all about giving each other grace if you don't know this information how can you be like why did my coworker do that and then you're you know frustrated and upset and irritated with them all the time if you know their drivers you might give them some grace for their behavior um However, in our office, it's more like making fun of everybody. So everybody makes fun of me. I'll use myself as an example. I get very tunnel vision. I like to have, for lack of better words, like 20 pounds of ish in a five pound bag. I always have to have lots of stuff going on. I'm like a shark. You know, if I'm not moving forward, I'm just dead. And that's hard for people, you know, especially my staff. They're detail oriented. And so they want things to be very organized and they want the information then I'm like I don't I didn't even ask what the information is I'm just moving forward so I get very tunnel vision so they make fun of me all the time because they're like you know either I don't have the information I don't have the dates I might be like hey we're planning this huge event they're like what date and I'm, I don't know and so they like have to work backwards and they'll joke about it because it's a stress reliever for them instead of being like Oh, here she does it again, just dumping all this stuff on our plate that she has no idea what she wants us to move forward. And so everybody can kind of laugh about it. You know, I'm very direct and honest, and I don't fluff anything. It's like, did you like what I did at that showing the other day? No. And then what I'm waiting for is the next question from them. But that's hard for people. They're like, could you fluff that up a little bit? Like say like, oh, no, you could have probably done this. And it's like, I had to bring a lot of energy to do that and be like, well, you know, I really didn't like that showing. So with my staff, I let my guard down a little bit and the, a little bit more me comes through. With clients, you know, it's just kind of like, you got to minimize the drama and mi- minimize the situation and make them feel confident. So I, I can't just be like, no, when that's really all I want to say, you know, so it gives us a little bit more grace with operating with each other. Like we'll make fun of Dana a lot of the time because, you know, she likes to fluff things and everything's exciting and she takes things so extreme. And we tell everybody like, Hey, you might need to sign this waiver 
in case she says something that's inappropriate. Like, you just never know. She has no filter, which used to drive me crazy. I'd, like, lose sleep over it at night. Like, okay. Being afraid of what she was going to say. Yeah, I'm going (laughs) to hand over these clients, and she's going to say something totally crazy, you know? And uh, that's just Dana. People love her for it. So that's kind of, we just know what our personalities are, and then we can go forward from there. And and then we know who's best for the job. That is huge. Just because somebody wants the job doesn't mean they're the best fit. And so with this predictive index, I can clearly see, like, okay, this project needs to move forward in the next week. Well, there's certain people that have fast drivers, and there's people that are slow operators. Well, I don't want a slow operator to take the project on if I need it done in two weeks. But if I have something really big six months out, I want the slow operator to do it because every single thing will be done to precision, which makes me look amazing. And I didn't do anything. So it's like having the right butts in the right seats is really important for the company to operate. You mean utilizing people for their strengths is a good idea? I love that you're saying that because everybody's like, always work on your weaknesses. Well, yeah, build some skills. But operate out of like your God-given gifts. Like why would you let those kind of go to the wayside? Isn't that interesting how how we focus so much on, I I, I think we tend to focus so much on weaknesses and it's those those areas that are so draining. You get to one o'clock in the afternoon and all you've done all day is stuff that you're not very good at. Well... That's not very motivating. I've brought it up a lot. We've been, I just finished up performance review season and every single of, of my colleagues that, that I review, it was, that was the story. I'm, I am tracking what you're saying, Daniel. And the, the example I brought up every single time is what a normal thing for us to do to just get into your kid frame, right? Kids in school. Brings home report card. Four A's, one C in math. Immediate, it is pop, pop, pop. What are you doing with that C? We don't, we don't talk about, there's four, you are really good at reading, social studies, world history. I never would have thought, is that, does that interest you? Why does it interest you? I had to bring that up to every single one of, of the people that I reviewed. And it was mind-blowing to them. Because it was, yes, I just rated you a two, right? Below average at this. But I don't. I'm not worried about that. You might be worried about that number. I, I'm just telling you, you fall short here, but it's not worry. It, it doesn't worry me at all. I want you to, I want to catapult you in the things I gave you fours and fives on. Keep doing that. How can I help you in that department? And that is such a foreign concept to people. And what a self-esteem booster. I mean, what a self-esteem booster that your child comes home and says, I excel in this category. And you're like, that's amazing. And you don't focus on the stuff that they're floundering and maybe get them some help. But you're not going, you know, like my parents, I was grounded. If you didn't get a, you know, a C or above, I wasn't a very great student. Well, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand school. And I really didn't thrive until I got to college and took business because business is a whole different concept. You know, so I think that is so important. Like, why, why, why don't we get you operating at 100% or even more? Instead of like when Dana and I first started working together, I was trying to put her in this little box of operating how I was doing everything. And she was probably operating at like 30%. Well, if Dana's only operating at 30%, I probably need five more staff members. 
but if Dana's operating at 100%, I only need one or two more staff. So that's the principle that we really focus on in our business is that everybody gets as close as they can to operating at 100% instead of doing things that they don't like. We're a small business, so obviously everybody's got to kind of chip in here and there, but their primary portion of their business is doing what they love and are able to do. Can I, can I ask something? So you're, you essentially are, uh, you know, you're, you're sharing roles in a CEO, CFO, COO. I mean, you are kind of the end all be all you and Dana, how much time are you spending on producing, right? Because you're, you, you need production, right? How much time are you working on production? How much time are you working on people and the people? I don't mean your clients, customers. I mean, your people inside of your business. Do you, can you give us a percentage of your time? So I would say most of my stuff that I do in the morning, like when I get to work before eight o'clock, I like to get up early and kind of like do certain things. And most of that's like the business side of it. Um, Or I'll do the business side late at night or Dana and I will meet on the weekends to do some of the business stuff. But I would say probably 80 20 it's really like 80 percent actually producing and 20 percent of my staff because we're a small business what we've had to do is put certain markers in place that remind us to do these things like we have a monthly off-site where everybody gets together the whole team is kind of a team building thing we do something a little bit of fun and then we say how do how do we move our business forward or what do we want to focus on um, we try to do like other lunches and things like that, but they're just put into place. So I don't have to spend my time doing it. So I think that if you have systems for everything, it really helps minimize the amount of time you're putting into your business. And I'm very foundational. So especially this year, I didn't go, let's try all this new stuff. I went back to like, here's the basics. Let's all get down to the basics this is what we need to be doing really well, and we're going to build off of that. And because of that, I mean, our business skyrocketed this year. We went from opening our own company in January to thinking we were going to have to close it by March and then opening up a second location in April. So just getting back down to that foundational piece, getting back to the basics and doing really well helped us move forward. Wow, that's that's uh something to talk about this year you know i mean i mean with all of the with all of the things that have happened in the last year to be able to say that one ought to spend some time reflecting on the reasons why that came to be for you and i and i have i have a feeling it has to do with the previous conversation about all of the attention towards your staff and making sure that they're really clear about what your goals are and what your expectations are for them um, and I have, I, I just have another follow-up question about identifying people's strengths and putting them in those positions because I, ha- I, so many people that I talk to are, are reticent to dig too deep into these sort of sorts of like, oh, I don't want to say personality tests cause that's why they don't want to do it because people feel like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be put into a box or I don't want to, you know, I, that's just, you know, there's just sort of this like cynicism towards those things absolutely do you find that people are open to it no no people do not want to know about themselves 
even when people say, hey, I want to know about myself, when it comes down to like taking the test, I'll send it to them. And a week later, I'll be like, oh, what happened to that test? You know, people just, unless they're like ready, like if they're the easiest way for somebody to learn about themselves is when they're struggling. When people are struggling, they're like, yes, tell me what I need to do. Help me. I'll take this test. Give me any advice. I'm, I'm coachable and I'm ready. That's when it's easy to kind of be like, well, here's what your drivers are. Here's what's going on with your personality. Here's where you thrive. Otherwise, people don't want to know. And it depends on their personality. My husband happens to be like a craftsman. So he's more like amiable, soft-hearted, very detailed. He does not want to know because any feedback's bad feedback to that personality type. You know, my personality type, you give me feedback and I still don't even hear it. You know, that's where like I have to learn to be like, okay, I need to reflect on this a little bit. I have to listen to what they're saying, learn from it. So I think it just depends where the person's at emotionally and in their life kind of, and then what they're wanting to move forward with. Because a lot of people don't want to change. They, they, they don't want things to change. That's a big no-no. So, so do you think that's what it is? Is it a, is it, it's not just apathy towards the test. Is there an underlying fear about what they're going to discover or, or, or an, an unwillingness to look at it? Or what, what do you think is underneath that? I don't have any research on this, but it's my personal opinion that, you know, it comes from environment. When you're a little kid, parents are like, stop doing that. Stop that. That's annoying. Don't ask questions. Go to your room. You know, and that's where I, I've struggled as being a mom is finding that fine line of, okay, disciplining, but also letting my son and my daughter be themselves. You know, like my parents, it always drove them crazy when I was crawling on them. And I just wanted their love and attention. So when my son does it to me, people are like, why do you let him crawl all over you? And I'm like, because he loves to. And I love that he loves me. And people are like, doesn't that irritate you? No, actually, it makes me feel good. So I think changing, reframing, like you had said, just how you think about things and the things that are coming up for you can really give you some peace in your life in general. So what kind of, I I think that you're nailing it, Danielle. That's a really hard thing to do, to reframe. I think we love to tell people, and that's what this podcast is all about. We love telling people, we go meet them for a cup of coffee. How you doing? I'm fine. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. Life's good. Let's talk about our kids. Let's talk about weather. Let's talk about sports. What people don't do is they don't get in relationships, right? That's what we're really talking about here. We don't either let people in or we don't get into meaningful friendships where there's going to be conflict. There's going to be high praise. There's going to be love. There's going to be disappointment. I think the one thing that people want but don't want in the same sentence is what I call and what Joe and I call eternal friendships, right? So friendships where this, we are friends, but it is, it's brotherly. It's that this is that we're going to talk about some stuff. How do you, I think some people call it mentorship, but to get into true mentorship, there has to be that kind of give and take. How do you think that people can create that? 
as a, as a business owner, as someone that's been menteed in the past, how can you as quickly, efficiently, effectively get into a eternal relationship with someone? And this could be business. This could be marriage. It could be dating. Like, you know, I, this, the floor is yours. But how do you create space to get into that kind of relationship? Honestly, I think from my experience, it all comes down to communication. You know, a lot of people say it has to be, you know, you have to be vulnerable. Well, I've created really deep relationships without having to be vulnerable, you know, but I did have to communicate at a high level about things that are not the weather, you know? So just not being afraid of people's reactions and not being judgmental. So not judging where they're at or where they're coming from or what they're telling me, that creates relations so quick. Because if somebody's telling you something that they're going through and you start to judge or give them advice, then it totally turns them off. And they're like, you know what? I shouldn't have maybe even mentioned that. You know, and then they go away with a sour feeling where if you just let them kind of air it out and then like, I'm here, what, how would you like to move forward? And instead of like making statements, asking questions, and that really drives everything into a deeper level of like finding out about them. I'm very curious about people. So I ask a lot of questions because I want to know, I I genuinely want to know. But if, if I'm too caught up in myself and my problems and things that are going on and my husband yelled at me this morning or my kids were running around crazy, then I can't be there with people. So I think that's like being present with them, asking questions and being able to go to that deeper level. There's people I've met on airplanes that I'm still friends with and we met on an airplane for two hours. You know, so I think it doesn't take time to build the relationship. It just you have to have some purpose. I want to highlight one thing you said, which I think is so genius. I think the easy place to go is the judgment zone. But I think the, what you said that was so intelligent and is so hard for people is don't judge. But then your next words out of your mouth were don't give advice, right? That's such a human thing to do. Like, Oh, you're coming to me. Because you want my advice, right? You must think I flourish in this. But really, you just want to be heard. You just want me to listen, don't you? For me, it's always I'm always going to fall on advice. You must be coming to me, which is such a egotistic thing to do. Oh, it's funny that you even say that because Ben is so good at, at asking questions and, and engaging in a conversation in that way. And I think... Anytime you're, anytime you're developing a relationship with somebody, you're practicing vulnerability, right? Because in order for anybody to get to know one another, you have to, you have to allow that space and allow that time and, you know, to talk about these sorts of things. And hopefully you, you have a relationship with somebody that can say to you, here are your weaknesses, here are your strengths. Let me, let me, let's talk about that together and not have that person retreat. Um, and I think that, I mean, that's one of your gifts, man, being able to talk talk with people and ask them questions and draw things out being the winsome fellow that you are. It's awfully nice of you to say. (laughs) Well, look what you guys are doing here. I mean, you're creating something that is exactly what I'm, you know, discussing is, is you're opening conversations that people 
it never occurred to them to have that conversation. It's so fascinating what you guys can open up for people that they just didn't know that they needed. That's exciting. Yeah, and maybe just like giving people permission. Yeah, I think that's giving people permission that there's more there. That I think that's the mission of, of what we're doing. Well, on that note, uh, one, one final question. As you're looking forward to the upcoming year and, and God willing, moving out of this pandemic and into whatever post-COVID looks like, what are you looking forward to? What are you excited about? Or maybe not. Maybe you don't want to get out of COVID because everything I'm reading about real estate is we should totally <laughs> stay in COVID if you were wanting to sell houses. I, yeah, you know, it has really been good for us. I thought this is going to be the end of us. COVID's going to be the end of real estate. And it really um, made things amazing this year. So, you know, I think I'm just excited uh, for a new challenge. I really thrive in the chaos. So when COVID hit, I was very excited and energized. My team thought I was crazy, you know, but that's, that's my like, oh, there's mass chaos. Let's figure out how to, you know, be resourceful and solve problems. I think finding that like next exciting thing to tackle, I, which I haven't yet. So you're getting me going, thinking here, like what's going to be my next thing to tackle this year? That keeps me going and excited and other people want to partake in. So, Danielle, I do want to ask about that. Do we have a little bit of time here? So, obviously, COVID's make it, this is something I'm passionate about, very apparent that technology is real and that we can be more efficient uh, from home. So I assume you're also selling some commercial space. Do you get into that business as well? Uh, more like apartments. Oh, yep. okay. So maybe you can just take your, this will be even better. You can have, I'd like your professional take on it as someone who sells space. What is the commercial market going to look like in the next five to 10 years now that we're teaching people, hey, you don't have to go to a place of business to run a business. You could totally be from home. But then there's that juxtaposition of I yeah, you're right. And this has been okay. I, I like the freedom of working from home, but I also really miss my colleagues and I really miss wanting to be around people. How do we create that space for people to do that? So that's so interesting because I've had lots of conversations of, with people around this. And I think at the end of the day, one, it comes back to the company's needs. I mean, obviously people thrive more in community. So like being isolated, people really liked it at the beginning and now they're not enjoying it so much but it comes back to performance how are you guys going to operate as a company in peak performance is it at home where you're not distracted or is it at the office where everybody can communicate at a high level and there's so many different levels of companies you know if you've got 500 employees it comes back to your budget your resources what your goals are as a company so each company is going to have to identify that but i don't think it's going to be a lot of people working from home in the future, unless that's their business model. I hear you. That's I, interesting to hear, actually, that we'll return back to going somewhere, being in a community, instead of an abandonment of that, and, yeah. and working remotely, which sounds, you know. I, th I hope there's a way that there can be a hybrid way yeah. of doing it, in which that's what I've encouraged the people that I oversee is, if you need to be home because, you know, we live in South Dakota and we just had a blizzard and it's not convenient for you to, to come to the office, 
just make sure you have a space at home so that you can do that because some of my people can totally do their jobs from home. We do need high-level communication in the breadth of what we're doing, but I think employers and especially leaders right now who are, you know, typically there's some ageism going on there, right? We're 50s, 60s, because you have tenure, you're, you're getting these kinds of leadership roles. Those people never had that kind of experience. And I hope that this is teaching them hey, we can really meld with these millennials, these gen- generation Y, Z people and say, yeah, you can work from home Mondays and Tuesdays. Why don't you come in the office Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? I'll make sure that the people that you are around the most and interact the most are here at the same time. But I think there's also going to be, this is my, I'm looking out. I think there's going to be an exodus from everyone having a place of business to these plants or the, you know these corporate buildings where there are, 10 different corporations all living in one space. And I think you can do whatever as a corporation, as long as you have some very firm boundaries around it. You know, I think companies, if they're going to have people working from home, it seems like the, the owners that I've spoken with or the books that I'm reading, as long as you have certain boundaries around working from home, they'll thrive. I think boundaries are so helpful in any company, uh, whether you're, you know, working from home or at the office, but you can be a little more flexible when you can see what, what's going on with people every day. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you for being here, Danielle. Yeah, this has been fun. Ben, I know people are going to be wanting to reach out to us. Uh, how can they do that? Yeah, please do. So you could check us out uh, on Instagram, and that's at uh, mandatepod, so P-O-D. Uh, or obviously you can drop us a line at mandate.pod at gmail.com. Uh, obviously, you know, like, subscribe, comment uh, on any of our stuff, uh, on any medium that you are taking us in at. Tell your friends about us. Uh, we always want to hear uh, if you've got someone fascinating like Danielle that would, you know is an interesting conversationalist. Uh, we want to hear about that person. So please let us know. Find us, check us out, like us, subscribe to us, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode.